Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. This weekend, the Ontario Liberal Party choosing a brand new leader. I'm surprised we aren't talking about it more, I guess, in the sense that there isn't being more made of this, uh, or, or maybe it's just falling between the cracks. Let's bring in Michael Tobe. Uh, he is with us now, Trey Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times. He is with us now. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. And yes, it is my musical you voice. Look at you I'm go, you man. Know. No, I didn't know that. Oh, man. sure, I grew up on heavy metal, hard rock, alternative. That's what I basically listen to around here. Wait a sec, I can hear your car down the intersection now, yes. <laughs> I know that I don't look it, and I don't play the part, and I don't wear a lot of black and leather, but yeah, I've been listening to it since I was in my teens. All right, uh, let's talk about the lib- uh, liberal, uh, provincial liberal leadership race. How Certainly. come this isn't gaining more attention? Is it is it being downplayed on purpose, or are we just not interested? There's too many things going on. Man, that's a big fat softball. Um, but there you go. That's a big beach know, ball coming across the plate to you. I know, I know. But no, I mean, look, I'll, I'll try to be as fair as I can on this interview. Part of the reason that it's not fascinating is that a lot of the general public in general don't follow leadership races that closely. Yes, they know the main names, and yes, the day of, they'll obviously pay attention and they'll see on their daily newscasts. They'll either hear it, see it on TV, hear it on radio, read it in the papers or a magazine, etc. So they'll be aware of it. But there's not the fascination with politics in general, Scott. I mean, that's not a big surprise, and I, we don't have to really get into it too much. But I think that people just sort of see everything in one big shot. It all blends in together. And when someone ultimately wins or someone has had a big lead, like Stephen Del Duca, who I'm sure we'll talk about, they sort of think that that's the way it's going to go. It's only when conventions or leadership races have a bit of a twist at the end, like when Stéphane Dion, for example, became liberal leader. That was completely unexpected several years ago. Generally speaking, once you see, especially in the system that we have right now, that someone has a huge lead in terms of the number of supporters or delegates or money, etc., you kind of assume that it's going to go that way. It looks like Del Duca is the one to beat. It's his oh, yeah. job to, uh, to take here, uh, but he does come with some baggage. Are you surprised there aren't other uh, rec- more recognizable candidates? As far as I understand, I mean, Del Duca has basically had a war machine or a party, you know, a real electoral war machine going on for quite a while. I'm looking at his delegate support right now, Scott. I'm just sitting in front of it. And, you know, I already knew that he couldn't lose, but he currently has 56.1% of all committed delegates as of right now. So there really is no way he can lose at all. There are an additional 640 ex-officio delegates. Those are people who are added in later in the game. But, you know, when you look at the fact that the distance between Stephen Del Duca with 1,171 votes or 56.1% of the vote versus the second place uh, person as of right now, which is Michael Coteau, who has 371 votes or 17.8% overall of the committed delegates, I, it's not, I mean, obviously they have to go through with it and at least, you know, go through that first ballot to ensure that it's a legitimate victory. But this thing is basically said and done. So what will a campaign, an election campaign between Del Duca and Ford look like? Well, I mean, you have to be fair. It's not just Del Duca and Ford. It's also Del Duca, Ford, and Horvath. But, yeah. um, uh, I mean, Del Duca is an old guard liberal, at least provincially, I would say. A lot of people will be familiar with him. He's been a familiar face on TV and the radio and TV circuit for years. I, 
I don't think he necessarily has a lot to really offer. I mean, sure, he was at one point the transportation minister. That was his most notable role, although he was the minister of economic development as well. So he's held some prominent roles. He's been in politics a long time. He knows how to handle himself. And when he goes into the Ontario legislature and participates in question period, obviously he knows the procedural maneuvers. He knows how to handle himself. He'll be a very straightforward, not terribly exciting, but straightforward candidate overall and straightforward leader for the Liberal Party. But again, I mean, I don't think it necessarily is anything that the Ontario PC government or the Premier Doug Ford is going to suddenly worry about. Stephen Del Duca is not a tornado. He's not a, you know, he's not this uh, exciting fellow just coming on the scene who has, you know, incredible charisma and character and ability, etc. Sure, he'll be competent and he'll do his job. But I think for a lot of people, they'll just think that this is just the same old, same old, that Del Duca is in the same mold as the former Premier Kathleen Wynne, former Premier Dalton McGuinty. And if it's just the same type of person, that's not going to be inspiring for a lot of people when they come to vote the next, in the next election in a couple of years' time. We all remember where Kathleen Wynne took the party. And uh, as uh, my colleague Travis Don- Danraj wrote today on the Global News website, you could fit the caucus in a van now. Yes, you can. Um, is this campaign going to be about why or how he's different or better than Kathleen Wynne? Or is this going to all be about how bad Doug Ford is? Well, look, Del Duca has a few issues. I'm sure you've talked about on your show the controversy that he has with this pool that he built in his backyard. Yeah, he's got a pool without a permit. Yes, exactly. Now, that doesn't make or break a political career, but it's a silly controversy that he's going to have to go through, not only for his first few days as leader, but for months, because this issue is going to drag on for a while. Um, But yeah, I mean, ultimately, when he goes back into the Ontario legislature, back in, this time as the party leader for the Liberals, he's going to have to differentiate himself. Naturally, he'll introduce some sort of a party platform. He'll have various principles that he's going to either run under or at least fight the Ontario government as it currently stands under. But he has to differentiate himself. Again, not terribly difficult because the Ontario Liberals and the Ontario PCs are two very different political parties. That's quite obvious. But yes, I mean, he has to continue to show or at least try to convince voters that he is ultimately going to be a better choice than Premier Doug Ford and that he could be a better Premier in general in two years' time. But again, I just don't see this as someone who's this, as I said, this incredible dynamo, someone who can just come in there, change the whole course of the way the Ontario legislature is run, and basically change the narrative at the same time. Again, if it's just, as I said before, if it's more of the same, no matter how much he tries to differentiate himself, people always look back to McGinty, Wynn, and others and say he's just the same type of person. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I'm thinking when I'm watching uh, the U.S. Polit- uh, political scene and the Democrats keep you know, banging against Donald Trump, which is the obvious, and don't really talk about them or where they're going moving forward, can you see the same thing happening here? Absolutely. Because Doug Ford has been a polarizing figure, they're pointing more to that as opposed to how they're going to change what Kathleen, uh, Kathleen Wynne had done. Well, 
Yeah, that's true. Look, I mean, Doug Ford is less polarizing now. I think that was more in his first year. To his credit, we've talked, but you and I have even talked about this. It's sort of a Doug Ford 2.0 going on where he's trying to be a bit, you know, a bit more genteel in his mannerisms. The people who are around him, including his chief of staff, Jamie Wallace, who I know from the Toronto Sun and journalism in general, you know, they're just trying to create a more balanced, forthright, and intelligent government. And with that in mind, some of the zaniness that you saw for the first year, and it wasn't a wild amount of it, but there was obviously some, you, you don't see it as much now with Doug Ford. I think you see him in a much more comfortable and, quite frankly, a much more intelligent stance in the way that he's handling controversies, handling the media, and basically handling his day-to-day affairs. But yes, I think that the Ontario Liberals will try to make it all about Doug Ford the same way as you suggested the Democrats in the U.S. try to make it all about Donald Trump. But that strategy doesn't necessarily work. Can't let you go without asking you about where the teacher strikes are now. Uh, Education Minister uh, Stephen Lecce, and I I thought this was strategically brilliant. I was wondering when the shoe was going to drop. This has always been about class size and e-learning and not compensation for the teachers' unions. They've been peddling this forever. They've been peddling it for the last 40 years, really. Mm -hmm. Then Lecce calls the bluff and said, we're going to move back on all of that. Yeah. you just got to keep the 1% raise. It's been crickets from the teachers' unions since then. How do you see this pl- uh, panning out? How come the teachers' unions haven't taken this? We've heard nothing from them. Yeah, well, it's not necessarily crickets. I mean, they've already announced that they're going into phase seven, which means that as of next week, they're going to go into another intense period where they're probably going to strike again. Which to me is mind-boggling, considering they have just asked what they've, they've just received, everything that they publicly asked for. I know. I mean, they've got the class size at 23, so that's held. They, parents now have the option to either put their children through e-learning or not, so that, you know, that problem is off the table. You would think that at least, if nothing else, that the unions would stop striking, even if it's just for a few days, up to a week's time, go back to the bargaining table with the provincial government, since they have provided some concessions right up front. I also like Stephen Lecce's decision to come out and announce it. Some people have criticized him for it, but I think you lay out your cards early, show that you're willing to discuss things, and more importantly, because the teachers and the teachers' union have always said that this strike is about the kids, Well, then you know what, Scott? If it's really about the kids, go back to the bargaining table and deal with the provincial government. You may not resolve everything, but that's the right thing to do, and that's the most logical thing to do. And I think many Ontario families, no matter where they fall on this, really have to look at the way that the teachers and the teachers' union are handling this and possibly another series of strikes in light of what Mr. Lecce has said and sort of scratch their heads and say, Really? Is this really all about the teach? You know, is this all about the kids? And is this really all about us, or is it all about you? It's uh, it's almost as if Lecce said his point, gave them what they were asking for, and then they're pretending it never happened. I know, and that's basically what's happening. And the like they're just is, negotiating as if he'd never said that. They're just negotiating as if he'd never said that. Well, I know that, but this isn't the game of pretend. You know, you know, pretend time or fun time is over. Yeah. If, the, if the provincial government is being serious and gives in to several demands, and the only demand they're not willing to give in to is, as you know, is the 2% pay hike, they kept it at 1%, then you know what? All this talk about it's all about the kids will easily devolve into, well, it's all about the money, at least on the other side, because quite frankly, the provincial government has given in on a fair number of concessions. 
you would just think that the right thing to do is go back to the bargaining table, that being the teachers' unions, and talk this out and see what you can do. It's very hard to believe. Is this a turning point in how we view this in Ontario? Because, again, they've been selling the same message for 40 years. Uh, is, all of a sudden, that play isn't working this time. No, it's not. But, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I don't think, actually, quite frankly, in this province, we look, upon, we look at teacher strikes or strikes in general by any sort of public sector worker. We don't look at it as favorably as we did before. Naturally, there are people on side. There are people with families of, and, and families of teachers who are naturally going to be supportive. But I think that a lot of people have, quite frankly, lost their patience. You know, the patience that Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wanted us to have for another issue, and yeah. that really worked out well. But, you know, when you have patience, that's obviously important. It's important to discuss things out or hash out disagreements and try to reach a happy balance or some sort of a new deal, new contract, depending on what it is. But, yeah, I agree with you. They've been using the same tactic for 40-plus years, and I think a lot of people are starting to wonder that if this tactic just keeps repeating itself, and if this tactic is not going anywhere, and if this tactic is actually now stalling negotiations back at the table, because I agree with you, Scott, they are basically ignoring the fact that the Ontario government gave in to two major concessions and are just sort of plowing ahead with their agenda you know, it's hard to understand what they're thinking. It's hard to understand why they're not changing their tra- tactic or strategy, even temporarily. And it's hard to wonder why now a lot of Ontario families even support them. Mm. Quite frankly, I don't think they support them at all, and that being the unions. I don't think the teachers' unions and teachers support the families as much as they really think they do. Michael Tope has been with us, Troy Media syndicated columnist and former speechwriter for Stephen Harper. Thank you, Michael. My pleasure. Have a great weekend. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.